Hi, I'm Kat Farrance and I'm founder of Movement for Modern Life. Welcome to Yoga Off the Mat. This is the Movement for Modern Life podcast. And in this podcast, I invite you to join me on a journey to meet the champions of change. These are the most inspiring people I've ever met. And they're living a happy, healthy, sustainable life. Hi, this is Kat and welcome to the first in our new season of podcasts. And I hope this finds you well as well as you can be during these really tricky times. Now, during these tricky times, I think there's nothing better to help us to get through it than think about some of the ancient wisdoms. We have a new course on Movement for Modern Life, which is Ancient Wisdom for Modern Life. And it's taught by Vidya Heisel. Now, Vidya, who I'm speaking to today, is a real stalwart in the world of yoga. She has been teaching since 1975, and she has trained in Ashtanga, Iyengar, Kundalini, Forest, pretty much everything. But she teaches a very creative, intelligent, alignment-based flow, but her main passion is with yoga philosophy, so there was no better teacher to teach our wisdom series than Vidya. So in this session, this is, is a recording of a live Q&A, which was with the movers who are doing the ancient philosophy course. And you'll hear some really interesting questions, especially this is particularly focused on the first yama, which is ahimsa or nonviolence. We talk about loads of different things, but mostly nonviolent communication, what that is and how that can help us. Well, I really do hope you enjoy. Hi, Vidya. Hi. Hi, Kat. <laughs> How are you? I'm really good, thank you. Do you want to introduce yourself and say where you are at Beautiful Sierra Leone? <laughs> yeah. Um, my name's Vidya, and I am at my I'm home right now, and I live in um, Andalusia in southern Spain. And um, I have a beautiful retreat center here called Surya Lila. And so, yeah, I'm uh, here in my beautiful home. And um, normally we have a lot of guests here, but at the moment it's pretty quiet, has been quite quiet for the last six months. Mm. Um, so it's really nice to be able to have some outreach to people out there in the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It must be really odd because Suralila is, well, it's got the largest yoga studio in Europe, hasn't it? So it, it, you must be used to pretty big parties of people. And Yeah, yeah. We often have, you know, especially, well, especially during the peak season, we often have groups of over 60 people here. So hmm. um, it's it's been really amazing quiet for the last six months and in one way that's beautiful because it's a, mm. it's a different experience to be here when it's peaceful and tranquil and hardly anyone around and um I can use my own pool <laughs> 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 but uh yeah uh, but I do you know I also miss being able to provide this sanctuary for people really you know mm. I, I I think that's what I really love about my work is just um sharing it with other people you know like I created this place to share with other people really not for mm -hmm. myself so I do miss that part of it 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. I can see and I, and I know it's not an easy time as well for Sierra Leela as well. So um, I really hope that you and your team get through this. Okay, not easy. Yeah, me too. Of <laughs> <laughs> yogic philosophy. Now, tell me because I know that your passion is yoga philosophy, and taking yoga off the mat and how we can live a yogic life. How is it that you got into that video? Um, well, I actually became, you know, I think I was interested in it my whole life. I didn't actually discover it until I was about 19. But um, when I did, did discover Eastern philosophy, I felt like it was this thing that I'd been missing my whole life and that was really in something really intimately familiar to me mm. and it was kind of answered all the angst and questions I had about life as a child mm. and um, the moment I you know first read some spiritual books um, I you know I just started to feel like okay this really resonates with me in a way that nothing else had up until mm. then and um, for me, it was just like a lot of personal transformation or, or just like actually coming home, you know, like, um, and I got into meditation when I was 19 as well. And um, up until then, I'd been quite, I mean, you know, I, I didn't suffer from like, clinical depression, I don't think, but I, I had sort of been really feeling like life was meaningless and um I just didn't really know what I wanted or anything like that. And uh, I think when I discovered Eastern philosophy, it was suddenly I just became passionate about something. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I sort of found my calling, really. And um, and life began to make sense to me. And, you know, it was just like a, a very magical time for me, really. And um, I haven't really looked back. I've been passionate about it ever since. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I know that it's um, definitely as well that my little delvings it's definitely helping me to um join the dots in life and, yeah. and now we're joined by lots of lovely people which is wonderful thank you very much guys for finding us here on slightly different link it's so good that you are delving into this um yoga philosophy course because it is there's, there's so much to learn here and video has got so much wisdom it'd be great to crack on so we've just started all of us today together um with doing the first one in the series which is ahimsa um and it's really interesting dawn's got some questions already and i'm and i love this um so should we crack on into the into the question first, do you think, Vidya, or would you like to talk about Ahimsa a bit first? Um, uh, yeah, I could say a few things about it first, because I think, you know, it, I mean, I just think it's like one of the most important essential um, parts of yoga practice, and not just yoga practice, I think most world religions kind of have this um, idea of non-harming, uh, you know, at the core, or it's an essential part of, um, you know, any religious understanding, I think, is that we, re that we respect other people as ourselves. And particularly in yoga philosophy, because you learn that, that actually, you know, there is no separation, that we are one, and that we're just one consciousness manifesting in all these different forms. And and like when you cause harm to any other living creature, it's actually like causing harm to yourself. And like having that kind of respect and love and for all 
all sentient beings. I just think it's just essential. It's, it's, it's the first yama for a reason, I think, because all of the other yamas have to be practiced in the context of non-harming. So, for example, the next one that we're going to talk about is satya. Mm -hmm. uh, tom well, tomorrow, I think. <laughs> and uh, satya is truthfulness, but you can't mm -hmm. practice truthfulness without the foundation of non-harming. Mm. So, um, you know, so I think that it's really the foundation of all of the other yamas and niyamas. And, um, yeah, I think it's vitally important. And it's also a practice, you know, because as human beings, we're not naturally nonviolent. I think we're, you know, you could say that we're naturally violent. We're more naturally violent than we are nonviolent. You know, if you look at our history or even if you just look at, modern times mm. human beings are the most violent animal on the whole planet you know um so i think that it is something we have to work at to be non-violent mm. and um and uh so it's a kind of ongoing practice you know and and i think obviously most of us are not practicing gross forms of violence mm. um you know like hitting other people or you know physically violent but I think that there's many ways as human beings that we we are sort of violent without even realizing it, or we cause harm to others without realizing mm -hmm. it. And I think for me, that those are the moments that are really important to actually more and more become conscious of, you know, our own, um, you know, just the ways in which we can be sarcastic or, or you know, like moody or this kind of things that we all kind of engage in sometimes. And, you know, even internally mm. mad at somebody, but we don't even express it. Mm. But it's just actually really learning how to notice those things without blaming ourselves, you know, because yeah. we're all human and it's part of human nature, but actually trying to renounce that kind of part of ourselves that wants to, you know, like hurt other people in maybe just small ways or put people down or, you know, be sarcastic or be superior, you know, all of these little ways in which we, um, you know, might behave, which is normal human behavior. A lot of it's accepted as normal. Mm. But, um, you know, it's other people in maybe just small the sound went a bit weird there. But. It did. It did. I'm I'm trying to play around and get get Dawn another um, link because she hasn't found us. So I'm trying to do some multitasking. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So um, I mean, one thing I found, you know, was really important for me. I don't know if I mentioned that in my talk, mm. but um, I I actually got into nonviolent communication as a way of of talk of speaking to people, um, and it's a, actually it's a skillful means of communication, and it's especially useful in tense or or kind of challenging situations. Mm. So I mean, like we all, you know, I think that. You know, most of the time we're probably not struggling with being nonviolent, but there are times when, the, you know, especially if you have a relationship with somebody, and sometimes this might be your significant other, um, you know, you can actually um, not know how to communicate in a skillful way. And, you know, sometimes we just get really irritated or annoyed, and then we just say things we didn't mean to say. 
you know, so I, I feel like we need to be taught how to um, communicate skillfully. And that's one thing I found has helped me immensely is actually studying nonviolent communication. And I, there are lots of different um, branches of that, but the original one, which was written by Marshall Rosenberg, I just studied that. And it's actually quite simple, even though it's quite difficult to pull off. Uh, just because we're not used to it. Mm. But I was uh, kind of shocked when I kind of started studying that because he points out all the ways in which um, we uh, sort of, we were violent without realizing it in our speech patterns. And, um, you know, I just started to realize, oh my, oh my God, yeah, it's really true how we judge other people. And, uh, you know, and like, uh, it, it's quite, it's quite delicate when it comes down to it, when you start to study that and you realize all these ways in, in conversation that we can be disrespectful and unkind. Mm. And, and often we don't we don't mean to be that way, but they're just kind of the ways that we've been conditioned to be with each other. And um, so yeah, and yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and there's a sort of, um, I know for my part, it, it can just be a sort of lack of putting care into it. Um, yeah. I'd be really interested to find out about that um, book. I wonder if um, Raki might be able to give us a link to it. She's always very good at finding links so that we can all take a look at that. Yeah, um, that would be great. Um, it's just called Nonviolent Communication by mm. Marshall Rosenberg. Um, but that book, I found that book really amazing. And um, I, I realized that, we, you know, I'd never really been taught skills. And I always thought, of course I can communicate. I know how to communicate. But mm. I realized that well, after I read that book, I realized that it's a really important subject. We're not really taught. Like it's a great, it would be a great subject to teach at school, for example. Yeah. How to communicate. And especially in in charged situations. Yes. Um where you can easily lose it, you know, and say things you didn't mean to say and, you know, um, and react, you know, because we're very reactive as humans. Mm -hmm. And also if somebody says something that we don't like about us, for example, we can be very, just, you know, really react in a very knee-jerk way, mm. you know, or, you know, when sometimes people push in front of you in a queue or something or in traffic, you know, like we can, easily lose it for a moment you know Absolutely. And, uh, so it's just really interesting to um well it's, it was just really enlightening for me to actually learn that there's actually ways that you can communicate in difficult situations that don't um cause the other person to react you know or to feel attacked and um, that sounds amazing and something yeah. that i definitely need to get my hands on thank you yeah yeah, I think um, I think that's right. There's violence in so many different areas of our life. It's like the obvious ones are the ones um, I know in the link when we were talking about um, that we were going to do it. The vegetarian vegetarianism is something that um, a lot of people were struck by, um, but also it's sort of a more subtle um, violence to ourselves. And we've got we've had the same thing here. I, it links to self care. Um, I, when I'm rested and well-fed, I'm more thoughtful. When tired and hungry, I can get more reactive. And I think that's absolutely right. And um, that sort of harm violence to ourselves is like a violence that we can spread to others because we're not feeling um, kind to ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're dead right. Like, you have to start with yourself. You mm. know? Like I, I think nonviolence always starts with 
practicing nonviolence towards yourself. And mm. I think that we just need to have a lot, most of us need to have a lot more compassion for ourselves yes. than we actually have, you know, because we're constantly, I think uh, like most of us have that little voice inside our head that is constantly putting us down, yes. know, putting ourselves down. Yes. Part of you that just doesn't feel good enough or adequate enough or, you know, is embarrassed or shy or ashamed mm. or, you know, like we're just constantly berating ourselves. And I mm. think that that's, you know, practicing nonviolence has to start with practicing that towards yourself because you have to see, I was just talking about seeing others, all sentient beings as yourself, mm. but then you also have to respect and love yourself in that same way. And if you can't start with yourself, it's like you can't really progress from there, you know. I think you can't love other human beings without loving yourself first, you know. Yeah. And that's something which I know that um, a lot of people find tricky, and I and I do too, for sure, um, because you're right, especially when, you know, I am trying to, uh, you know, act in a kinder, more compassionate mm, you know, non-violent way. And then when you pick up all the things that you say, you get frustrated with yourself and angry. And I'm sure that I'm not alone doing that. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, it's just like we have to see, because I think we also have this idea, you know, we also have this idea that we should be perfect, you know. And I mean, that's really unrealistic. And then we're also, we're imposing that idea on everybody else as well yeah. as ourselves. Yeah. You know? And it's it's so ridiculous because nobody is perfect, you know. And why would, why should we have to be perfect, you know. I, th I do think we need to be doing our best, you know. Yeah. Like, I think it's really good to be making effort to try to be kind and generous yeah. to other people. And to try not to cause harm. And, and then you sometimes you make mistakes, you know, sometimes. Mm -hmm. you, and like you said, you might be tired or hungry and mm -hmm. something is affecting you and you, you know, maybe you just lose that ability to be that way. And then, you know, but then you have to just let go of it. You know, you, you know, you, you can't hold on to a grudge with yourself, you know. Yeah. in the same way that you shouldn't hold on to a grudge with anyone else. So. Yeah. Right. Well, that's true because we do hold on to this idea of, of perfectionism. Mm. Um, I'm going to see if, because um, I know, well, first of all, I just wanted to sort of have a little, um, a sort of overview of how, how is it that um, this, do you think, how has it affected you running a business and running Sierra Leela and trying to, you know, be a yogi and stick by the yoga sutras. How has that actually affected you and how you run the business, do you think? Well, I, I think I'm, you know, like I'm constantly, in, I mean, in terms of running a business, it, you know, it's a big thing and I, I'm constantly trying to find out what's the right way to do this. And, mm -hmm. How can I do this effectively? And, um, you know, how can I listen to other people but still be the authority? Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting journey. I mean, I don't think I've got that really 
you know, I haven't, I don't know if I've got it down, but I do feel like I'm friends with my staff, you know? So I do feel like my, you know, it's always interesting because it, uh, being here is a bit different from running a business where you go home at five o'clock and you don't see everybody till the next day. I mean, because this is a small community here because a lot of these staff live um, on the premises or next door, mm -hmm. a staff house. So, and people eat together. And so uh, actually our social life is our, are also our colleagues at work, which I think mm. happens as well. And, but I mean, I don't have a social life much outside of my work colleagues, you know? And so um, it's, it's quite different because they're also friends. So sometimes mm. I feel like sometimes being someone's friend and their boss is a bit challenging. Mm. Um, so I feel like I just have to constantly be vigilant and alert to, you know, how I'm behaving and how I talk to people. And mm. I know whenever I have to talk to a staff member, I always find like using nonviolent communication. I, I kind of plan it out before I speak because I, I, I think, you know, it's just so important to be very, very careful in the way you address things. And uh, I found that nonviolent communication helps me a lot with that, knowing how to address things mm. Mm. that sounds like something i need to learn and one of the things that was most difficult for me in recent times uh, the last months has been i had to lay off people oh, you know, and that was really you know i mean i'm still not sure if i'm gonna have to lay off more people so it's just uh you know it's oh, just uh, that's been extremely hard you know because mm. people that really are dedicated to the business and um I really love the people that work here. And I feel like we have an amazing team of people here. And I, I think that, um, you know, we really do run the business differently than a, mm. a regular business because there is this sense of, of people being, you know, encouraged to contribute, to really express themselves, mm. um, you know, and to be heard and accepted and, you know, be part of a team. So, you know, and I feel like, yeah, all of the things that, I mean, Eastern philosophy helps me in everything, you know. I, do, I always just don't say yogic philosophy because actually mm. the philosophy that I'm more in love with is Vedanta, and yoga is part of Vedanta, but um, it's a bigger thing than just yoga philosophy. So, the, you know, I'm, so Vedanta is what really, you know, um, informs everything I do, you know, and, um, and uh you know, it just helps me to understand how to respond to all kinds of situations. And uh, yeah, mostly because I don't really take life that seriously, to be honest, because what I, I, I understand from my um, knowledge of, of um, Eastern philosophy is just that, um, that this is like a dream, you know, this life is like a play, it's a mire, it's, it's um, in some ways, it's illusory, like a dream world. And that um, the, you know, it's ultimately a kind, or sometimes it's called a leela. A leela is a play of the gods. Hmm. Um, so um, that's where the leela in Surya leela comes from. It's a cosmic play. So I, I don't take life that seriously, actually. And I always feel, I always also trust that whatever is unfolding is exactly as it's meant to be. And that helps me immensely in everything, you know? And um, so I don't really, I feel completely surrendered to what is. Mm. But, um, that's what really kind of guides me. But maybe I'm 
moving away from, from ahimsa. <laughs> well, no, yeah, there's a lot there to delve into. Um, I do... I, I'm, I'm sort of a bit torn there. We've got a, a few reactions and questions. I wanted to yeah. go back to Dawn's question yeah. because she had a few quite specific ones. Okay. Um, Dawn, who came to Sierra Lila with our group a couple of years ago, so it's nice that you're here with video, Dawn. Okay. I've learned so much from listening, watching philosophy course by video, and I've learned to appreciate on a much deeper level the significance of the restraints and observances that a modern yoga yogi needs to encompass into their lives to support the eight limbs. I'd love to know how video came to yoga and how she was able to practice all this herself. And then there's a second limb to the question. Let's go for the first limb. Hmm. Oh, the first part. How did it come to it? Well, like I said, I you know like I actually grew up in a really conservative middle class family. Uh, they were also quite secular. My dad was an atheist, mm. and um, I did. So I didn't grow up with religion. In fact, I was actually not allowed to go to the religious classes at school, and I didn't really mind. I mean, you know, because I wasn't. I didn't. I wasn't brought up as a Christian, so I, I didn't mind not going to the religious classes. But um, so I didn't grow up with any kind of religion, and um, my dad was kind of more a scientist, you know. And um, and uh, but I always felt like something was like really missing from my life, and I always was wondering what's the point of everything. And I was lucky when I was thirteen that my aunt married. Um, a philosophy teacher, lecturer, <laughs> and he and I really hit it off. Like if I was thirteen at the time, but he was a really lovely man, and he was very interested, and he liked kids as well. Um, but he loved to talk to kids and really talk to you. And nobody had really, really spoken to me before deeply, you know. Mm. And so I got into loads of deep conversations with him, and he told me, "You're a born philosopher, you know. You're." Because I'd, I'd never, you know, I didn't know that a lot of the questions that I had were kind of philosophical questions. Mm. I never didn't really know what philosophy was when I was thirteen. So, um, so I then I became interested in philosophy, and I went to university to study philosophy. But what was really interesting was that I, um, you know, when I was studying Western philosophy, and um, it just wasn't doing it for me. I just felt like. I thought I was a philosopher, but now I'm studying Western philosophy. It's not really, I just don't feel that attuned to it. And then, um, actually, it was back in the 70s. It was like I was a hippie, actually. I dropped out and I was doing LSD. <laughs> and it was like, you know, those, those kinds of times. And I got used to Buddhism by a friend. So I just started to just see all kinds, you know, have all understand all kinds of dimensions of life that I'd never even like known existed and um, and I got into Buddhism when I was like 19 20 and um, and I started meditating as well and I started going to this um, Buddhist center in London and meditating a lot and uh, yeah that was my first year of of just getting into Eastern philosophy, and I got really into meditation that year. And um, I just started reading all kinds of books, you know, like I just started reading every book on Eastern philosophy that I could get a hold of. I read thousands of books on it, and I was just that I just felt like this is what I was looking for, you know, when I 
was interested in philosophy all my life, I, I didn't realize that this was, the, I just felt started to find answers that mm. I really find in Western philosophy. So, um, yeah. And um, then I went to India and, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's how I got started. Oh, I love it. Now, the next part of Dawn's questions, I'd love to know how different your life would be without yoga. Can you imagine it, Vidya? I can't because yeah, I just cannot imagine it. I have no idea, you know. I, I just can't really imagine it because I've been into this, yeah, since I was 19. So I, I don't know where my life would have gone. And who knows? And maybe I would have, I, I never really wanted to get married and have kids. And my parents would have loved me to marry a doctor or a lawyer and have a family and live in a nice house. And I never wanted that, you know. I just was really pursuing once i've you know found my passion mm. i just pursued it really my whole life I, I just went deeper and deeper into it and um yeah i've been and also i was really into i've never been actually into being fixed anywhere i was always quite into moving around traveling um but um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I can answer that because it would, would have been an ult ultimate life. And um, I was never really, I guess I was never really going to go there because my karma was otherwise, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair enough. Now, she has one final question. Um, meditation, does it take years to really get to grips with it? I don't think it has to, no. Mm -hmm. I think that... Um, that actually, you know, when I first discovered meditation and I was really excited about it, I just found that, you know, it was very profound for me right away, you know. Mm. And, you know, and then I find, like, as you, you know, meditate more and more, it's not something that, you know, if you do it, you get better and better at it. You always have to deal with the same stuff, you know, like when you're meditating. So you might just get more familiar with it and maybe more at ease with meditating. But I, I don't really think that, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't think it's like some things where you, the more you do it, the better you get at it. You know, I think it's, I think you just have to, you know, it, sometimes it can, it can be really hard, even though you might have been doing it for years and years and years. And mm. sometimes you might find, because it's not really about whether it's hard or easy, actually. Mm. It's a practice. So when you do a practice, it's like your yoga practice. Sometimes you feel, you know, like, oh, this practice feels so amazing and I feel so coordinated and light and airy and my practice, you know, I'm just loving practicing. And other times I feel like my body's made of lead and I don't want to really move and I'm feeling very resistant. You, you know that? And you can't tell, you know, like it, it could whatever reason you know you're always in a different mindset so you've got the same things to face but this is a practice so i i think the important thing to know about meditation is that um it doesn't have to be a particular way i think the reason that we might say it's hard or i had a bad meditation that's like you're judging your meditation and mm. and you should never do that with meditation because meditation is a practice and um, you just do it, and it doesn't matter whether your experience is good or bad because it's not about your experience. It's, a, it's not an experience. It's a practice. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a really useful way of saying it. I like that 
that little twist. Mm. Um, and yes, so going back to the subject of Ahimsa, now we're bouncing back again. And um, nonviolent communication, I'm now just going through some of the comments on that. Again, Dawn, reacting people who are being unkind negative can be challenging not to take it personally. Um, and I and I have exactly that problem too, because you sometimes feel that it's a sort of personal affront and that things are taken personally and that it's because of you. Um, and then you can react back in that way. Do you have any tips for how we can um, try to stop that sort of spiral of reactivity? Yeah, well, I think uh, actually interestingly, because we were just talking about meditation, and I think that really helps mm. us to develop that mm. muscle mm. of non-reactivity. Mm. Um, because what we're doing when we meditate is we're practicing having no relationship to the content of our own mind. Mm. And we're doing that over and over. So that's the practice that we, we, we need to bring into life is that, you know, we can have, is, you know, we, I mean, we can have, we're going to have a relationship with the content of our own mind, but we want to have the right relationship with mm -hmm. it. So the wrong relationship would be just believing whatever your mind throws up and going with it, you know, like mm -hmm. reacting. And um, and uh, meditation helps to give us that space where we see the whole thing. You know, you see somebody say something mean to you. You feel the reaction within yourself. You can see how you might having a knee-jerk response of feeling upset or angry and how you want to respond in kind, you know. But mm. then you actually, this all happens very quickly. You're just able to take a breath mm. and not, you know, and just see it's an ego, actually. You know, you just see, okay, that's ego. We all have an ego. So the ego is always going to respond with, you know, self-defense with reactivity with wanting to lash back if something mm. hurts you you know it, it's just the nature of the ego and you just and you can actually observe the ego egoic responses in yourself and like then you can just say that it's just ego mm. you know and like you can say that a thousand times a day because the ego rears its ugly head all the time you know so you're gonna there's gonna be moments where you feel envious where you feel jealous where mm. you competitive where you feel hurt you know whatever mm. feel left out i don't know what it is all these things that yeah. we, but then just observing those things and and actually just always labeling them as oh you know it's the ego you know mm. and then you just don't identify with it you know but mm. that, i think that comes through through two things meditation can help immensely with that mm. and also just um really understanding human nature deeply, which meditation helps with as well, but also actually just studying um, the scriptures helps a lot with that. And just, so it's just knowledge. I mean, you know, they uh, it's said in, in the Eastern philosophy, they say our main obstacle is ignorance. Mm. Ignorance as to who we are. So we are, we're identifying with the ego. So when you think you are the ego, the doer, the, you know, mm. the experiencer, you, you, um, you know, then you identify with all these responses. So when you know that that's not who you are, and it, we need to have this ego in order to operate in the world. You know, the, we have this body, we have this mind, and we're using it to operate in the world. But when we know that it's not who we really are, you know, 
mm. and that we're not the ego, then we just see we're the one witnessing it all. We're witnessing everything. We're witnessing everything unfolding around us. We're witnessing our own reactions. And then when we just say we, I, and then when we shift our identification to the witness, and we know that we're not the ego. We can just lay, look at it, our ego responses and just label them as ego. And they actually, I find like when you do that, they they tend to just dissolve, you know, because you you see that that's not you. It's, it, but it's just a natural human response that we don't. We can actually choose not to engage in. You know, we can choose to not react in that way. And sometimes it takes, you know, I'm not saying this always happens automatically because sometimes, you know, some you might have some particularly tough thing, you know, some particularly tough encounter with somebody or experience or somebody tells you something and it might take you a, a few hours to grapple with it, you know, like to let it go. Mm. So, but that's okay. You know, I, I think you can just take yourself off and, and just, you know, grapple with it for a little while and then allow it to, you know, let go of it, you know. And it, uh, sometimes it's not always immediate if it's something big, you know. And, and that idea of sort of taking yourself away from that moment of reactivity, I think, can be a useful one mm -hmm. because sometimes we kind of get stuck in that moment. So being able to kind of have a have some space to see to see things for what they are, yeah. Sometimes you do need to step back and, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, almost, uh, yeah, it's almost just, just like just to come to terms with whatever it was. But I find like when I do that, it, it, it can be very quickly resolved, you know, like I just know, you know, I can let things go very quickly. But I think that is through, you know, really, under, like I said, really understanding who you are and who you're not, you know, and not identifying with these egoic responses and just mm. actually seeing them for what they are. But, uh, yeah. Um, I love it. No, that's really, really useful, Vidya. Thank you. Um, we've got a very interesting question mm -hmm. from Jada. I hope I've pronounced it right. What's the purpose of a practice then? That was such an interesting idea for me, and it, we need to rewind in time to try to work out which I, idea. But I think that was about the um, meditation as a practice. Um, what's the purpose I, of a practice? Yeah. yeah. She um, said, I always thought the more you meditate, the better you become at bringing yourself back to the moment. But what do you think, Vidya? Um, well, um, well, yeah, I'm not saying that it doesn't have a cumulative effect, mm. but it's like, uh, I think because I, I was just saying that some meditations might be really turbulent, some meditations might feel really calm, but it doesn't really matter what the content of your mind is. You're just sitting there with it, you know. So what I was trying to say was there's no good or bad meditation, but I wasn't saying that it doesn't have a cumulative effect. You know, like when you do that practice on a regular basis, it does have an effect. And uh, the effect is that you start to have a deeper understanding of your um, human nature and you also do create space you know mm. like you are able to it will start to inform your everyday life and like you'll start to have you know you'll actually have more space around the way that you react or respond to things mm. you'll start responding rather than reacting let's say yeah and um and uh yeah it'll also help you in these moments where you're you're grappling with stuff because um 
it just gives you a lot more space and you also know that you don't have to you know whatever's going on in your mind is going to pass you learn that it's, it's all going to pass it's all going to be meaningless in a few days or a few weeks or a few months you know um so you just learn to not take the content of your own mind too seriously through meditation and the other point of it really is um you're, tr you're actually training the spiritual muscle in a way because we we need to kind of learn self-discipline and i find like meditation is a form of self-discipline and i yes. you know, and that can seem like a bit of a um, intense word to us because we'd often associate discipline with being you know control or something mm -hmm. like that but i think it's really important to have some discipline in your life and to have spiritual practices and to stay with them yeah and, I think that just gives you self-confidence and self-esteem when you do that. When you say that you're going to follow through on a practice, and you do, yeah. and yeah. then you just keep doing it, and um, you know, it builds, yeah, it just builds natural self-esteem and self-confidence in yourself. And um, I think we all need to do that. You know, yeah. it can be all over the place. So it's, it's. Uh, I think having a practice is a profound thing. You know, um, and. Um, and, and, and we talk about that with tapas, really, as well, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Which is unfortunately not the delicious little nibble. <laughs> well. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I think that's sort of all part of it. Now, because um, I know that on the movers group, there were a few people who were interested in ahimsa, vegetarianism, veganism, yeah, um, I think it would be useful to just sort of go there a little bit. I mean, I'm going to give my little view on it first. Um, it's, it's just my view. And I know, Vidya, you have your view and everyone kind of comes to their own place on these things. I mean, yeah. I've been a vegetarian since I was small, since um, I was a teenager, before a teenager, I think, um, because I've always really liked animals. <laughs> and I went along to a factory farm at a young age and it really, really disturbed me. And I thought right there and then, how can we do this to something which it was a pig farm and I could easily see myself in the pigs I saw that, that was a very clear thing as a child for me and I was vegetarian for years and veganism seemed like something that was very extreme at that stage and it has done until quite recently and then I visited a dairy farm and I became aware of some of the practices that um, are used at the normal dairy farms and I realized that that's not acceptable to where I feel you know in the treatment of animals because again to me animals and you know I'm an animal so far as I'm concerned so there's not much difference um, but having said that I have now sort of slightly come full circle and I found an ahimsa micro dairy which is up the road from me here which I support because I think First of all, their raw milk is delicious, but there's a young guy who's got a few cows and he keeps the calves and it's very, like in terms of harm to the planet, it's very sort of sustainable, very low key, and it's very grounded in reality. Mm. And I sort of have that feeling about, because you have chickens at Sierra Leela, and I think that if I had chickens roaming around in the way that you did at Sierra Leela, that 
that's no problem to eat those eggs. So I think everybody's got their little um, dividing lines with what's appropriate and what's not. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because I have had some moral dilemmas about... Uh, I'm fine. I mean, I'm, I've been vegetarian since I was 16. So, and I and um, I don't eat cow products either. Mm. So I'm, I'm sort of semi-vegan, but I do eat our chicken eggs because, like mm. you said, we have um, happy chickens here. And um, also, actually, people say, "Well, you're taking their babies away," but actually, they don't sit on all the eggs. So, mm. the ones that they sit on, we leave because uh, then we get more chickens but but mm-hmm. the ones that they, they don't sit on we can take so um so mm-hmm. you know it's not doing them any harm and that our chickens are really happy and they eat our com our compost you know as well they mm-hmm. eat everything so all of our organic compost goes to the chickens um uh, but you know it's really interesting with the permaculture thing because um most people who are into permaculture because we have a big permaculture project here um, should mention and um, so I've gotten really into permaculture in the last six years or so since you got me into permaculture yeah. too Vidya it's and, yeah, and, you know, it's quite interesting because perma- people who are really into permaculture are not into vegetarianism mm-hmm. and um, the reason why is that um, they're into the ecosystem and, and, and traditionally an ecosystem you know, you have to have animals in the ecosystem, mm-hmm. and the animals are really needed for their, um, you know, for their fertilization of the soil, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, also because they eat all the kind of grass mm-hmm. and the and the olive shoots that come off the olive trees, and so they're very useful. They're really part of the whole ecosystem, mm-hmm. and traditionally you you obviously eat the animals. So um, there's a bit of a clash there between mm-hmm. the kind of traditional idea of vegetarianism from yoga, which I, mm-hmm. you know, I stick with. But mm-hmm. I have had, I've started to be a bit, little bit more sympathetic towards, you know, because I, I thought, well, that's easy. I think you you saw our movie, the screen. Mm-hmm. Movie, but um, great movie by the way everyone must watch it it's absolutely brilliant yeah i mean it's, it's not available like it's not available right now because it's it's actually in some film festivals right now and um but it we're going to be showing it when we come to do our um yoga summit in, yes. in which has been put off a bit now i think we're going to do it at the beginning of December, so I have to talk mm-hmm. about that later. But anyway, um, we're going to show the film in our yoga summit. But the fi- but you see this dilemma in the film. Mm-hmm. We have a documentary that was made about Surya Leela. And, um, you know, like, well, I was thinking, okay, well, we can just have some sheep, you know, and they, you know, they we don't have to eat them. But then we had this kind of issue, like, okay, so are we only going to have female sheep? So, you know, like, so that they don't have babies, because then Mm -hmm. what if we have all these babies and our flock keeps growing and growing, you know, we're going to have to get cull them in some way, you know? So I don't know. There's lots of complications, you know, like when when you have animals, Mm -hmm. if you you don't eat them, what do you do with the, you know? Because actually also a lot of animals you can't have more than, 
because they don't, you know, you can't, it's not normal for a flock to be made up of half male and half females. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I and mean, they fight. Like, we have that with the alpacas. Mm-hmm. You know, not that you eat alpacas, but, um, you know, you can't have the more than one male with the females, you know. It gets really mm-hmm. complicated. So animal husbandry is something I didn't really know anything about. But um, Oh, I, I, I can't wait for it. <laughs> you know, within a farm system, it's quite difficult if you don't eat the animals, you know, like I, I cause all kinds of complications by not wanting to eat the animals. So I don't know. I think sometimes I, you know, at one point I had to say, you might have to take the male baby lambs off somewhere and just not tell me about it, you know, and sell them because I, and I, I felt like, well, now I'm in the meat production thing, but we really need the sheep to fertilize the ground and to mm-hmm. eat the, so yeah, it's it's an interesting dilemma, but I do think like what you were talking about, you know, like if you're getting, you know, if you're going to a farm where you know that the animals are treated humanely, mm. you know, and they're not being and they're having a good life, and I think having a small number is key. Yeah, but I mean, you know, so there is one issue with that though, mm. which I discovered um, with this, where I watched this really good documentary called Cowspiracy. Oh my goodness, I recommend everyone has to watch it. It's amazing. Yeah, which is about the sustainability of vegetarianism, yeah. actually, and veganism, mm-hmm. or the non-sustainability yeah. of meat-eating, I should say it's about. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think you learn in that movie that even if you had, like, small, organic, grass-fed farms, if we wanted to produce enough meat for the whole planet, we'd have mm. another 10 planets. If we were going to, what's interesting about feedlot farms mm. and that kind of thing, the industry of meat is it's the only way that we can sustainably produce enough meat for the amount of meat that we're eating. But that's the key thing. That we just can't eat, you know, I mean, we could eat way, I mean, if you're not becoming vegetarian, you could eat way, way less meat because we yeah. can't sustain the amount of meat. And I don't, I, I personally also think that I'm really into nutrition as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of know that eating a lot of meat is not healthy anyway. Mm. You know, I mean, actually eating any, a lot of people say that eating any meat at all is unhealthy. So, you know, and dairy is also unhealthy. So I think really like for health reasons, um, you know, of course you still need to, to know how to nourish yourself properly. Because a lot of people say, oh, I became vegan and I wasn't doing well. I was losing a lot of weight. I felt weak. And then I realized I had to start eating meat again. And then I felt a lot better. But I think that's, I think that happens because people don't really, know enough about nutrition and if if you become vegan and you're just eating pasta and pizza or vegetarian Mm -hmm. you're just eating pasta and pizza and processed foods or whatever you're not you're obviously going to feel weak you know um because but i think that we can get all the nutrition that we need if we're eating the right foods and you know maybe we can take some supplements if needed but i i just feel like i've been radiantly healthy my whole life I'm 65 now, and um, and uh, I've been vegetarian since I was 16. And I, I mean, I think also it's yoga, but um, mm. I feel like diet plays a huge part of it. And um, I don't have good genes. None of my I have all kinds of disease in my family, wow. so I managed to evade all of that. Um, so wow. touch wood, but mm. um, I feel like 
you know, diet is such an important part mm. of any, mm. your whole life. Yeah, I do. And I think that um, I'm just conscious of the time and people want to start cooking dinner. I do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think my thoughts um, on how to read Ahimsa in the food production is, I think that this is one area where it's so important to really, really think very carefully because we all, by necessity, have to consume a lot. And we might affect each other's choices in their consumption as well. So I think that um, it's very, very important to think very clearly about what ethical choices you can make for yourself. Um, yeah. We all have to come up with our own. But for me, it's definitely about the sustainability aspect. What is most sustainable for us and for the planet? Yeah. Um, that's important because I think that's um, non-violence to the planet. You don't get big Yeah, I think that's really, really important. And I also, I mean, I think a big thing for me, like, I, I, is also just the treatment of animals because I, I just can't handle it, you know. And I, I, can't, I hate watching these videos from the, you know, like about what goes on in, um, in those factory. Um, slaughterhouses you know yeah, it's hideous. just horrible the practices and mm. what the animals go through i just really can't handle that so I, I i feel like like what you said we have to educate ourselves mm. we have to make intelligent choices and um i think that's part of being a yogi really is actually making intelligent choices about everything we you know we shouldn't just do what we're conditioned to do yeah we just try to think deeply about all of the choices that we're making mm. You know, and and like come to a, you know, a conclusion that we feel good with. You know, because yeah. I just wouldn't feel good mm -hmm. about eating animals. I just wouldn't feel good about putting animals through any pain, like mm -hmm. the slaughterhouse and the fear and pain and the horrible lives that they have to live. You know, to provide us with meat. I just think it's all really awful. You know, and that it's cruel. So anyway. I, I just think it's it's important that everybody thinks deeply about mm -hmm. you know what they're doing, and if you do eat meat, do you know do, you you can go to you know at least you know where the meat's coming from, mm -hmm. and you really make that ethical choice to actually know that it's been treated humanely. And I think we've had go have dinner now. So we no, no. Well, there's one that one I'd like to end just on this point because this yeah. is sounds worth. Pauline, cost is important, especially during COVID, where loads of people, you know, there is a lot of people suffering financially. Um, for me, I see that well. There's nothing cheaper than eating beans and potatoes. So I um. I find it quite hard to understand why people think necessarily that junk food is cheaper when, you know, beans are as cheap as you get. But also allotments and growing your own, if you've, especially if you've been laid off and you have lots of time. I mean, that's yeah. a terrible thing to say, but it is making sort of lemons out of lemonade. Um, lemon yeah, definitely. Growing your own vegetables would be ideal. But I mean, I think you can, you know, like, I, I think you're right. You, it maybe it's a bit more effort. I mean, it's very easy to walk into McDonald's and pay it's more effort. For, but, you know, you have to make a bit more effort with your food. But I mean, what I used to do, I mean, I'm, I'm in the luxurious 
situation of being cooked for every day. Oh, your food is incredible. food, you know, so um, I've got nothing to complain about at all. And it's very easy, easy for me, you know. But when I used to cook for myself, I, I sometimes would make a, soup, a pot of soup that lasted for three or four days. And I'd yeah. happily eat the same soup for three or four days, you know, because I, I know I'm busy, you know. So, And making a salad really takes... 10 minutes, you know, and you can put everything in it, you know, like I used to make all kinds of amazing salads with, and just put everything in it, you know, like as many colors as I could. And, uh, but it literally takes you 10 minutes. So that's really doable. And if you're going to buy, you know, if you're going to go to Whole Foods, um, yeah, it can be really expensive. I know. I mean, I always spend more money on I spend more money on food and supplements than anything else because, listen, if you get sick, you have to spend a lot of money on hospitalization, on medicine, and on you know being on losing work. And if you stay healthy, it's really worth spending as much money as you can afford to on food and supplements because that's what keeps you healthy. So I always think it's a fair trade, you know, and. Um, but, you know, if you can't buy organic food, then buy non-organic vegetables, you know, and it's fine. Eat non-organic broccoli and kale, but just wash it really well. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that now there are so many massive topics that we can go running into. And, um, you know, good points from Alex. We'd like to see fresh produce subsidized, junk food tax more. Absolutely. Yeah. And poor people are heavily targeted by junk companies and businesses and pester power for their children. So I get, I get it. If you have a kid, they're not going to be so keen on cats, beans and potatoes diet. So I can, I understand. Yeah, there's a, there, it's, there's a lot going on in the modern world which seems to sort of um, go against good sense and good health. And I suppose that's what we all have to stick with each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Vidya, it's so lovely to chat to you. This, we, could, we could chat together here for hours about this, and I know that you guys would like to join in, and it, it's really, really great. Now, we are going to catch up again at the end of the month when hopefully we'll find out how everyone's got on with um, all the videos and that'll be, um, we can carry on and see where the conversation takes us then. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who tuned in. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for coming to support us. And thank you, Vidya, so much for your time. I really appreciate that. You're very welcome. I really enjoyed talking to you. It's really wonderful. And I'm definitely going to check out that nonviolent communication book. It's awesome. Okay, really cool. Okay. Thanks so well, much, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Thank you. <laughs> bye. Bye. Bye-bye. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as I did. Do check out Vidya's work on Movement for Modern Life. Just go to Teachers and there you'll find Vidya Heisel with all of her various classes. And you will, of course, see the challenges she's in, as well as the latest one, which is the Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times. I really hope you enjoy that. All right. Take care until next time.